Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. As a guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days in the field. This show is about translating my hard-won experiences into tips and tactics that will get you closer to your ultimate goal, success in the field. I'm Remy Warren. This is Cutting the Distance. When it comes to hunting big country or hunting out west, maybe more open country, I think the single most productive tactic is to be a good glasser, to be able to spot animals. When you think about spot and stock hunting, you really have to figure out the spot part before you can get a lot of those stock parts in. So being good at picking out animals is an extremely important skill to have and leads to a lot of success. I think that to be able to regularly spot game by glassing is really two parts. The first includes where to look, but after that, it's what to look for. And being consistent means being able to pick out animals time after time when you're in a good spot, knowing how to find what's right in front of you that might be fairly well hidden. This is done, I believe, by what I consider my four main tenets of spotting. That would be size, shape, color, and movement. Understanding those four things and how to incorporate that into your glassing is going to overall make you a more successful hunter. But before I break down those tactics, let's jump into a story on an elk hunt where I made an incredible spot on something fairly unexpected. Now when I'm elk hunting, a lot of my success I I really attribute to being good at glassing. And so when there's days that are a little foggy or inclement weather where I can't see very far, those are generally days that success is fairly low. Now on this particular hunt, I had a good friend of mine um, come up elk hunting with me and he brought a friend of his. So I was guiding them for the first week of the rifle season and we were focusing on 
getting some elk. I'd spent the week ahead glassing and scouting and preparing where we were going to go for that first morning. And luckily I'd spotted some elk and I knew there might be a little bit of weather moving in the next day. So I spotted that evening, spotted some elk off in the distance, maybe four or five miles away, coming out into this opening and thought, okay, let's be there first light tomorrow because we might not be able to glass. So the next morning we, we start out early, we get into position. It's kind of like overcast low cloud we get sort of a little bit of fog and light rain before it gets too light i'm glassing kind of where the elk were and i don't see anything but then i catch kind of just this shape in the pre-light about mm, i don't know 800 yards out and i know okay those bushes just don't look right it's not light enough to know but i decide we're going to move over and get into position there just in case so we drop down the canyon start working up still in that dark kind of pre-light it's not shooting light yet and now as we're working over there it starts to get a little bit lighter now it's legal shooting light we pop up on the rise where we're planning on going and sure enough there's a herd elk out there we get set up and we're trying to get a double so uh joe's set up on the elk and then scott his buddies uh, set up as well but we just couldn't coordinate it just right so joe ends up shooting drops the bull and then the other bull runs out but he's obstructed by cows and so we end up getting the first bull i'm like sweet we get that bull take care of that bull pack him out it, it's it's raining starting to snow now our visibility's going but uh hey we're successful it was a great great morning and, and the plan came together so now for the rest of the week, we're going to be looking for a bull for Scott and we start going out and, and checking out, you know, all the other places that we can hunt. Luckily, it, it's, it dumped snow that day and then started to clear up the next day. And then it was kind of one of these where it's like snowed, cleared up and then burning off. So we're hunting, I, I guess it'd be like a day or two later and we're up on this big ridge and what i like to do is i'm just like glassing into the timber in these pockets down lower at this you know area that we hiked into and for some reason this one ridge i always start thinking okay i'm gonna look for shed antlers because it seems like a good area it's pretty remote i think oh, maybe there'll be some sheds in here and my thought is if i'm glassing hard enough for shed antlers then I will probably find an elk or deer, whatever we're looking for. So I'm glassing, 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 don't see anything. And I'm just kind of looking for those shapes, maybe of a shed, but also, you know, other things that I search for, ears, like the shape of an animal, different things. And I'm glassing at this one spot. And I'm like, God, this rock just looks really weird. Because I, it, what drew my attention to it, I've got my binoculars and, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it just looked like a spot in the binoculars. It was really far away, maybe a mile and a half away. So I get my little spotting scope out, and it's kind of windy and, you know, a little bit of haze in the air. Like, it's not really great glassing conditions, but I zoom in, and I'm just, I don't know why I want to look at this rock, but I'm just like, look at the rock, and I'm okay, and look at it, and I'm like, oh, thinking in my head, I'll, I'll check that rock again, whatever. It just didn't look right. Like, there's something about this rock that looked weird. So I'm glassing all over and I, I go back to the rock and the rock's still just a rock. And normally I don't point out inanimate objects because as a guide, I get that all the time. Like guys being like, well, this, this tree over there looks like an elk. And then they try to describe where it's at. And I'm like, well, is it a tree? Yeah, it's like 30 foot long log, but it looks, you know, to them, it looked like an elk. So I don't want to waste my time looking at logs when I'm like, okay, yeah. And I just kind of ignore it and glass. 
I'm like, God, this this rock just like it's got the perfect shape of a wolf sitting there. Like a it's this white rock, and it looks like a wolf. I'm like, but I mean, we are miles away. And it's just like this weird shaped rock that hasn't moved. You know, it's just a rock. So I tell the guys, I'm like, there's I'm looking at it through my spotting scope, and I've been checking it for the last hour, half hour. And I'm telling the guys, I'm like, hey guys, there's this rock down there that looks just like a wolf. You should check it out because it's just like, I don't know. It's a funny, random white rock down in the bottom, surrounded by all these other rocks. I, I don't know. It just like looks like a wolf, you know, but I, I was like, I've been looking at it for a long time. It's nothing. It's just a rock, but you might want to, you might find this rock interesting. Just as I'm saying that the rock moves. Sure enough, it was a white wolf down in the bottom of this canyon. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a wolf. And then I start to look around. All the black rocks that were around it start to move as well. It was an entire pack of wolves. But the white one, which we don't really have very many white ones here, there's, and all the other ones were black. But the way they were curled up and laying at that distance just looked like rocks. They weren't moving. They weren't doing anything. But something just looked off about these rocks that I kept coming back to and looking at them, looking at them. And it was very unexpected in this particular spot that I would see wolves, let alone a large pack of wolves, including a large white wolf. Once it stood up and was moving, then it was fairly clear what it was. I ended up getting a little bit of video and photo through the spotting scope. Got my big spot. Well, one of the guys had a bigger spotting scope. I just had my little backpacking spotting scope. So I got their spotting scope out, zoomed it up, 60 power. And you're like, oh, clearly that's a wolf. And uh, so we watched them for a little bit. They fed on some bones. Unfortunately, nobody had any wolf tags or anything. So um, we just watched them, but it was just one of those times where I was spotting and it was, it was kind of an unexpected spot, but also you know, I was able to find those animals just by keying into a few of the tenants that I feel are very imperative to glassing. There was something wrong about that picture. I kept looking back and looking back and then caught the movement and verified, oh, there's something there. And it was just kind of a cool spot that I'll probably remember forever. When it comes to picking out animals, picking out things on the mountain, finding what you're looking for, I really believe that um, maybe a lot of the information out there, I mean, I remember reading things in the past of, okay, you need to look for this and you need to look for that. But when I'm out looking, there's a way that I go about it. There's certain things that I keep in mind, but I also want to make sure that I see everything there. And it always reminds me of... uh, a psychology experiment that I remember seeing, I don't know, in some textbook somewhere. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. It's like the gorilla experiment where I, there's people passing a ball and the, they ask, okay, count how many times the balls passed back or forth. And then in this video, maybe like a few minutes into it, this gorilla guy in a gorilla costume walks out in the background, kind of like dances around, stares at the audience and then walks off the screen. Maybe nine seconds total, 10 seconds, whatever. Then they go and ask everybody who was counting the basketballs, okay, how many passes back and forth? Most people got it correct. Then they said, who saw a gorilla? And half the people didn't even realize the gorilla. Why? Because they were focused on one task and the gorilla was invisible to them. I kind of think of glassing as that same way where many people are looking for a deer, looking for a deer, looking for a deer, 
And because they're, they've got something in their mind that they're looking for, they miss everything else. And a lot of times, the other things are what clue you into finding an animal, finding an elk, finding something. So I believe that there's good search parameters to have, but there's also kind of this overarching thing of what I'm looking for. And I, and I want to kind of describe this process, but I believe it comes down to when you're looking for animals, understanding, getting your brain to react to four of the major, I would say, tenets of noticeable things that trigger a response of there's something there. And that would be understanding size reference, picking out certain shapes, separating out different colors, and then one of the biggest factors, movement. So I'm going to break these down into those four parts, and we're going to start with size. Now, when you're when you're glassing, so many times I'll be glassing with a client, glassing with another hunter, glassing with someone, and I'll be looking four or five miles away, and I'll spot elk. Now, they'll be looking at that same thing and not spot anything or not spot the deer, not spot what I'm spotting. And I think a lot of it has to do with understanding the, the type of size to key in on on what you're looking for. Now, that involves understanding how far you're looking, understanding the magnification of your binoculars, and understanding the size of the animal you're looking for. Am I looking for, I always say, like, are you looking for ants or elephants? On a close hill, are you looking for something really small? Or on a far out hill, are you looking for something too big? When you look and you go, ooh, that might be an elk, and then you realize that you're looking at a rock that's the size of a house, you know, you have to adjust your search parameters and adjust, you know, the size reference in your mind of what you're looking for. That also lends into translating into what optics to use on different varying places you're glassing, how steady you're going to need to be, and understanding, okay, what tools for the job for where I'm looking, and understanding how steady you're going to need to be. Maybe are your binoculars, should it be a spotting scope job or a binocular job? Do I need to get the tripod out? Or is this something that I can hand hold? Having all that so when you throw your binoculars up, you aren't wasting time you know, looking at too far in the distance in a shaky binoculars where what you're looking for will be impossible to spot or maybe spending your time on too close with the zoomed in spotting scope where you don't have a wide enough view and you're wasting your time looking that way. The best way to understand the size references, picking out items and objects on distant hills and distant places that you kind of understand their basic size and then compare that basic size to the animal that you're hunting. So this would be a, for instance, I'm glassing way off in the distance, right? I've got my binoculars. I'm looking across the valley and I see standing timber. Like, look, what do you see around? Okay. There's some standing timber. There's some rocks. There's some other things that are maybe near where I'm at as well. Maybe a sagebrush bush, um, maybe a, a ponderosa tree, maybe a couple other trees. Okay, well, what's something that I can kind of gauge the animal size that I'm looking for to what I'm looking at? Okay, how big does that tree look? Now, instead of gauging things on the height of the tree, look at the trunk of the tree. How wide do you think that tree is compared to the trees that are around where you're at or you've seen? Is that comparable to the width or the length of an animal's body size? And then you can understand, okay, I'm looking for something that's that big by maybe you know, half of its body length for width. And you can start to gauge and say, okay, that's the size that I'm looking for. How much detail can you see at what you're looking at at a distance? Can you see the bark of the tree or can you not? One thing I'll do many times is I'll pull out my range finder and range the hill that I'm looking at. 
it's funny how once you understand how far something is or really get a grasp of how far it is, you can start to build out that size reference a lot better. Just yesterday, I was sitting looking at this big meadow that looked fairly close. I take out my rangefinder and go 900 yards. I'm looking at it kind of bare-eyed thinking, yeah, I would see a deer on this hill, which I would, but also the deer that I'm thinking I would see would be more in that reference of the 400 yard deer where you, you easily see it. Instead, now I know, well, it's kind of brushy over there as well. It's a lot further than it looks. Now I'm going to focus in and just realize that I'm looking for something smaller, uh, focus in tighter, maybe get more steady, not just throw the binos up and give it a quick scan, slow down, take my time. And then I started picking out the deer, um, in foliage that was you know like comparing it to okay those bushes are going to be about the size of the animal i'm looking for it will be very concealed i'm going to have to slow down and really pick it apart because that size reference of instead of thinking oh i will see the deer standing above those bushes now that i realize that the deer are going to be below those bushes so it depends on it gives me that cadence for glassing it gives me a way to focus in and it gives me an understanding of what i'm looking at same thing goes for even same scenario this last week i'm set up glassing i look at my onyx i pull it out i measure the distance i go okay that that area i'm glassing is five miles away i'm looking for something very small but i'm looking for elk you know i I look at it and go well it's a grassy opening the grass around me in this kind of similar environment is this tall i should be able to see those elk Um, They're going to be, you know, the width of the base of that big ponderosa tree. And then I start picking apart and seeing these dots and then watching those and seeing, okay, they're moving. I verified their elk. They've got everything else, the right shape, the right color, obviously their elk. Um, Now we can make a play. And that play led to harvesting a good six by six bull just on a couple days ago. So that size reference is key in understanding what to look for, but also how to spot. If I know I'm looking further away, I'm going to know that I need to be steadier. If I know that maybe that brush is taller than what I'm looking at, understanding that is going to really help me use my time wisely to focus in. So many times people look at a hill and they think, oh, there's nothing there because they can see it looks open, whatever, but they don't realize that at that distance, you know, what they're looking at might conceal what they're trying to look for. So, okay, that might be more of a scenario where I take out the spotting scope, I zoom it in, adjust the power instead of using my 10 power binoculars, I, I zoom into 20 and I and I grid that. I start to look slow. But also there's another hill in between here and there where I want that wide view. So I'm not just spending so much time looking so close and I'm just going to do the same thing, glassing off my knees, holding the brim of my hat, steadying my optics and just combing over that stuff close in a wider view where I understand if there's something there, I should see it relatively easy and then slowing down as I get to those more covered areas. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you 
to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Now we're going to jump into the next segment, which would be shape. I think one thing that is important is having some form of search parameter. I call them search parameters, like this thing in your mind that you're looking for. Now, you never want that thing in your mind that you're looking for to just be the whole animal standing there. Very, very few times is that what I notice. If I, if I really think about when I'm out spotting, I've tried to do this as I was thinking about this podcast and really trying to build it out. When I spot things, I just see them. Now, it might be a piece of them most of the time. It might be something that is off about what I'm seeing. There's just something that catches my eye. I don't necessarily know exactly what first catches my eye, but it's always something that catches my eye. Now, that just translates immediately in my brain to elk, deer, whatever I'm looking for. It is funny because when you're when you're thinking about a certain animal when i'm when i'm looking for elk i probably see m- more elk than deer because i'm i'm i've got these certain search features that i'm looking for but one thing that's very um universal as far as uh, spotting you know in in different game animals is the shape thing i think the the wolves that i spotted what caught my eye was the shape the outline um, there's something about the shape that i was already searching for that picked up my eye so I don't necessarily look for the whole animal, but I look for certain shapes. So I'm going to break down some of the certain sh- certain shapes that you can have in your, I guess, like in your mind as these search parameters. The first would be an outline. What's the outline? What's the silhouette of the animal you're looking for? At distance, many animals, even if you see the whole animal, they're blocked out, they're darker, and you're just seeing the silhouette. So think of the silhouette in a 360 view. You've got the side profile, the broad side, the 
what do you see in that silhouette? You've got the head with the nose shape. You've got a neck that swoops. You've got a back, and then you've got the rounded end of the rear end. Then you've got the vertical legs. Think about that silhouette, and then you've also got the underline of the body. So you're looking, you're thinking of a silhouette. Now let's turn that silhouette facing you. What do you see? Well, now you've got more of that ear profile, that kind of Mickey Mouse silhouette. You've got the long neck, and then you've got the line underneath the chest and the legs. Let's flip it around to the back end. What do you see? You might see the same ear profile if the head's up, but if the head's down, you might just see kind of a rounded back end and the legs or, you know, this kind of dished profile at the hips where it goes up from the hips and you start build out that really think about these profiles, these outlines, because those like understanding those types of shapes of the animals you're looking for is really going to help you spot what you're sitting there to find. One thing that I heard a long time ago, like when I got started is when people were talking about glassing, is they'd say like, look for, look for the lines, look for these lateral lines. There's a lot of lines and animals that I think really stand out. One of them is the, is the line of the leg. The legs are this vertical that goes to this horizontal that doesn't necessarily seem natural in all the other natural stuff. Another one of the lines is that line of the back or the line of the belly, the line of the neck. Uh, but honestly, that, that back and belly line, these two parallel lines at distances or whatever, it's kind of this, yes, there's things that are laying down, but it's this, this kind of unnatural, natural thing where it looks slightly different than the environment around it. While everything else might be broken up, um, the bushes have more of a fringe, the trees and logs have that what is this shape and what are these lines that I'm looking at? When I'm still hunting, this is uh, something that I actually try to key into is these lines through the forest. As I'm moving through really thick cover, I'm looking for not necessarily vertical lines, but horizontal lines. Or if I'm glassing close, I'm looking for those vertical lines of the legs, little pieces that kind of symbolize or trigger my mind to say there's an animal. And they're things that often get looked over when you're moving slow, when you're in thick cover, you know, keeping those search parameters and understanding those lines and just bringing up mental pictures of what animals look like, the certain shapes and silhouettes, and then the type of lines that you're looking for. Don't look for the animal, look for those lines and then key in and focus in on that. Another thing I notice that I kind of look for is I, is I start to think off shapes. That's when I even talk about maybe looking for something that is very hard to find and you'll pick up things that are easier. One thing is, is shed antlers. I kind of, in my mind, think, find a shed, find an antler. Because what that will do is that triggers my mind to start thinking of that off shape, that shape of an antler. Sometimes I'll find sheds. Sometimes I'll find antlers attached to an animal. And that might be something that I pick up along the way while I'm sitting there glassing at distance or in thick cover as I'm still hunting. Something that immediately tells my brain, oh, there's an animal there. This is what I'm looking for. And then again, those rounded shapes, there's a lot especially if you're like spring bear hunting. One thing I'm always trying to think of when I'm spring bear hunting is, is look for the round, look for that curve of the back, the bear feeding that the round at any position, this kind of unnatural round object that's in whatever I'm looking for, or a piece of that round object, kind of thinking of breaking it down into pieces, legs, ears, back, neck, um, hip, like just think of the pieces of the animal and build those mentally even before you're glassing, you know, it seems very strange in a way where you're like, the easiest way to find deer is look for deer. People that just look for deer don't spot as much as the people that understand to look for pieces of what they're looking for. And they've built out in their head these mental images of 
the parameters that they're seeking. Because what happens is as you look, I can throw my, for me, I feel like I'm very good at glassing, very good at picking out animals before other people because I throw up my binoculars and I don't have to analyze everything. I let my brain look at it and then it just triggers there's something there or then I focus in on that. I can scan a hillside probably two or three times faster than most hunters because I have these search parameters and obviously it happens by doing it a lot and practicing. I mean, just like anything, it takes practice. It sounds weird, but glassing practice, yes, it makes a really big difference of People say, well, you know what to look for. Yes, I know what to look for, but I've also trained myself to look for certain things that trigger in and I can, I can throw my binoculars up, scan a hillside or sit down and grab out the spotting scope and know what to do when, and it utilizes my time better in those, especially those times when it's going to be easier to spot animals or in those times where it's very difficult to spot animals. I'll generally spot them. There's very little that gets by me because I have these search parameters always going. I'm the type of person that I could be driving down the highway 60 miles an hour and two miles away spot a deer. It's just because I'm always looking, but my brain triggers into those certain features, those certain shapes. And I understand the size reference of where I'm looking and what distances that comes with practice. And it comes with kind of building out a mental picture in your mind. Now, the next two, I think, are are very key, and that would be color and movement. What I want to do is I want to break those down in a little more detail next week. So for this week, we just covered size and shape. Next week, we're going to talk about the color and movement. And those are probably two of the most important things to key in on and the easiest to really get started. But I want you to start building these mental pictures before we build out color and movement into our search parameters when it comes to glassing. Your homework for the week on the next hunt that you go on, I really want you to start thinking about this size and shape reference. Now, if you aren't hunting, maybe you're new to it, maybe you're new to this whole spotting thing, throw up images, like look through wildlife photos, look at different silhouettes and start thinking of like building out this idea and this mental thing of, what you're looking for. I mean, for me, it's an exercise in it's something that just happens. I mean, I'm always constantly, I think most hunters, I'm always thinking about the animals that I'm chasing. I'm always thinking about mule deer, but I'm also thinking about when I go out, I'm looking at the terrain that I'm in and I just really try to picture what is reasonable that I might see. I don't really try to picture this big animal standing out there. The ones that I miss are like the ones right in front of me often because I'm always looking further or thinking that they're more concealed. So maybe I got to add in my, my homework's just going to be add in more of that, like yeah, big animal standing there. Hey, I'm right here kind of thing. Um, but what I would suggest is just kind of start to think about those shapes. Like look at the photo, break it down in your mind of little pieces, little parts. Like what does that look like? As I talk about it, I just visualize it. And I think that there's a big aspect of just visualizing these things before you ever go out, before you ever get into the field. Maybe you're new to it. This is something that you can do. Study pictures of animals in those environments and not just clear pictures, animals, pictures of a hillside and, and what do you see and what might it look like and build those search parameters in your head. You want these things to be automatic. You want to be the guy that can throw up the binoculars and spot something that's very hard to spot. And it's not because you have a like having a better eye is really having a better mind. It's understanding what you can see. Now, there is something to be said for having good vision. You know, obviously, if you've got contacts and you're wearing them that day, you probably aren't going to see as much. But a good eye means understanding what you're looking for. That takes practice. And if you don't have all that time to practice, 
understanding and looking at those those references and and really building out that mental picture think about it get your mind trained to find things for you and let your eyes do the looking and your mind do the spotting and i think that that's what's key to this whole process so that's your homework till next week and then we're going to break down the other part of that tips the color and the movement and i think by the time you combine all these things together and looking at it that way i think you're going to be a lot better at spotting. So I really just wanted to break this out for you. I think that it's a, it's a really good tip. It's a really good tactic. And it's me just trying to dissect the way that I do things. Um, I've been doing it my entire life. I've been doing it professionally. I've gotten really good at it, but I believe that it's very hard to explain sometimes how you get better at certain things, unless you kind of talk in this way of like, I, I really try to dissect what I'm doing. So I hope it's helpful. And I hope it's something that you can enact in your next hunt or in any hunt. As always, you know, feel free to make this a two-way conversation. I try to, you know, obviously it's like right in the middle of hunting season. But honestly, if I get a little bit of service or in the evenings, in the mornings, I love to like look at those messages. I read almost everything. I just maybe don't have time to respond to whatever. So um, keep those messages coming because I re- it really like encourages me and, and gets me fired up to hear so many success stories and other things. So I just appreciate you all. Until next week, keep a sharp eye. Catch you guys later. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.